Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is goodbye in Arabic, literally with peace, mm. as we say goodbye to the 2022 season and a whole grip of drivers. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, hello, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good. Buikas uh, la um, we're while we're having hellos and goodbyes in foreign languages that invoke uh, the word of God. Um, I'm good. The The season's over. I feel bereft already. I'm not sure what to do with myself. Sundays have a vacuum in them that will never be filled. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, <clears throat> I'm good. I'm glad F1 is over. <laughs> <laughs> Counterpoint. Uh, are, yeah. yeah. You know, this is what you get from Shift F1. Just uh, a whole lot of differing opinions. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, a very warm welcome to you. If you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend uh, listening to our preseason primer. I mean, like I said last week, if this is your first episode, you've got a whole series to binge. You can go listen to our preseason primer and then watch the whole season. Uh, the primer assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So you need you don't need to know anything about F1 before getting in to that. Uh, this year's primer is episode 178, or you can just stick around a few more months and wait until next year's primer. Also, the show is supported <laughs> entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, <clears throat> experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, Head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Danny? Yeah, sign up and get access to a year's worth of bonus podcasts we've done. And among among other things, myself and Drew drinking wine in my uh, old backyard in Oakland. <laughs> right. uh, Daniel Ricardo's uh, wine, no less. Dan exactly. Daniel Ricardo's wine. Um uh remember that guy he used to race in formula one um Oof. but this uh <laughs> this week we have um a rather bemusing and terrific review of the original 1964 gone in 60 seconds a movie oh that is just <laughs> beggar's belief though just to, to give you i know we've talked it up but just i don't think i've ever specifically said it's a movie made by a guy who owned a junkyard and wanted to make a movie like his favorite old hollywood movies <clears throat> and then he did he just did it. He just trashed a bunch of cars. He spent years hoarding ex-cop cars and ambulances and created a movie which has 
the longest chase scene in cinema history. I believe it is 45 minutes. <laughs> it is full of crashes that genuinely hurt people. Um, <laughs> it is a ridiculous movie. and I, It's unbelievable. I don't know why I'd never heard of it before. It's I'm so, so strange. The guy's so had, weird and I'm so glad I Especially like when it. he like, he, he, this gentleman passed away during the filming of the sequel. Like it is ever, all of the elements of like an American cult classic. But if you, it's like Google, it's like, it's like uh, how the internet can like swallow up memory because like the the Nicolas Cage gone in sixty seconds looms so large that like it just shadowed the, that story. So which is clearly the story that got this other one made. Oh it's yeah, just, and a way better story. It's wild. What a what a wild wild movie. Um, uh, yeah, and thanks to all of our uh, incredible. <coughs> I don't know what's. I don't even have a sore throat. You just coughed before we started. Now, now yep. suddenly I've got the plague. It's, I don't know. It's, what... it's the time of the so season. I will also say, like the air has dried out <laughs> completely in my apartment, uh, and so I am also I've got a scratchy throat and everything, just because uh, like it's the time of year where I need to keep a uh, pot of water on a low simmer like the entire oh, yeah. day, mm. or it is just unbearable in here, and all my electronics just like zap me. Oh my god! You're right. I got that's probably what I was. I I got zapped by the microphone when I when we started. So I think you're oh right. God, dude, that might be you're, that air is just like hella dry. I think dry air, man. Or you're in the movie Pulse. I've never seen that. Pulse? What happens in that? It's basically like is it Maximum Overdrive where all the machines come to life? It's like that, but like household electronics. Oh no! Oh yeah, it's zapping me. I hope not. I am surrounded by electronics. I will die. There might be a ghost. I don't know. It's usually a ghost. There's no ghost in Gone in 60 Seconds, except for the ghost of filmmaking, which <laughs> died during, I don't know. What? Anyway, thanks to all of our incredible title sponsors. Um, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, At Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Pyrites, Card Castle, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, sorry, Alan, Alan McCrary, telemetrydeck.com David Mule Drew Stewart Bailey Foote Abdullah Althani here's the crew Jason Chadwick appreciate you putting your name back it was quite a long thing I had to say before <laughs> Abraham Getchell Enzo and Ayrton Bunny is thankful for dot 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 Sniggs Alex Goucher Max Faltar Circuit Demon Troy Stammer Humberto Roca William Romf Irvine Clinical Research Lachlan the Maddened Man and Jason Kelly. Thank you all so much. It's not the final episode of the year, but it is the penultimate one. So thank you very much. Yes, indeed. We uh, we thought that, uh, you know, going through, because there's just so much to talk about in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we <laughs> wanted one more episode. I can't tell. Yes, it is. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes, it I is. Was, I was, my, my, sorry, you, you finish your point first. Sorry. Well, I forgot, I, I forgot I had a podcast. <laughs> it's all right uh yeah we're, we're doing one more episode it'll just be like a um uh an emails episode so if you have any uh thoughts at the end of uh the season or questions for us um let us know uh using the shift of one podcast at gmail.com email address or f1.cool slash emails uh we'll be doing that and we'll also be kind of like doing a i don't know an informal look back on the season the storylines what we want to see from next season, maybe some predictions, who knows? Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, just sort of like a, a little capper episode because it feels like, I don't know, we did this last year where we, we did Abu Dhabi and then bailed, you know, Peaced and it out. felt like, yeah, I, I, it, it didn't feel like a, a proper proper cap to the season. So we'll, we'll be doing a, 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 an episode 
next week. But before we do that, let's do this one. Uh, starting with the <laughs> grid for the final race of the 2022 season. What do you know? We've I I wonder how often this has happened over the I the feel past like it's never a good generation. sign when it does. I will say this. When I was watching qualifying and I was watching the teams like filter in two by two, yeah. I was like, this seems very this seems like a very deterministic qualifying. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like it, it took the whole season for everyone to figure out their proper place, you know. Uh, red, it's, so the the top six is Red Bull, Red Bull, Ferrari, Ferrari, Mercedes, Mercedes. Of Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc, Sainz, Hamilton, Russell. Uh, then we've got Lando Norris in seventh, kind of the the hanger on of uh, of Formula One point five, I guess. Right. Uh, Esteban Ocon in eighth, Sebastian Vettel in ninth, reaching Q three in his final qualifying session uh, since he is retiring. After this race, Fernando Alonso in 10th, his last race with Alpine before he moves to Aston Martin next year. Then we've got Yuki Tsunoda in 11th, Mick Schumacher in 12th, good qualifying for his last race with Haas. He has no seed for next year. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo in 13th, his last race with McLaren. He also has no seat next year. Uh, he was also penalized three places for causing a collision with Magnussen in the previous round. So he actually qualified 10th and is starting 13th. Mm. Uh, Lance Stroll in 14th, Joe Guan Yu 15th, Kevin Magnussen 16th. 17th is Pierre Gasly in his last race with Alpha Tauri before he moves to Alpine next year. Valtteri Bottas 18th. Alex Albon, 19th, and Nicholas Latifi in 20th place, his last race with Williams, no seat for next year. Yeah. Danny, hey. do you want to take us through the start of Abu Dhabi? Oh, my God. Dhabi? Do I want to? So here's my, well, I tell you my, 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 deep, um, re, my deep regret of this weekend. Whoa. Is that, okay. well, not regret, not regret, just mostly, I don't know, um, uh, I'm glad that there was nothing really up for grabs this weekend because, I mean, there was some interesting, like, constructors and, and driver position things. We got Leclerc and uh, uh, Perez going at it. We got we got some battles, you know, uh, down further field. Haas are trying to retain their... Alpha are trying to retain their spot. They're in a weird position where they're, like, drawing maybe but have a better result. Oh, there's, there's a couple of little bit, bits and bobs down there. But my terrific wife... Um, uh, booked a camping trip this weekend not knowing that it was the last race of the Formula 1 weekend and the first weekend of the World Cup which are two things that I'm quite interested in Um, (laughs) so I did not tell her and then tried very sneakily in the middle of the Mendocino Woods to try and watch the highlights of all of these things as they were going on um so my my uh every week i usually watch everything my week my uh, information this week is entirely based on highlight videos so i apologize in advance um but as for the first lap um like 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 the orderly qualifying everyone was orderly through uh the first couple of turns um i think lando made up a place on russell if i remember correctly um uh yeah uh, but apart from that, everyone was uh, pretty fine. Perez and and Leclerc had a little bit of a, a go in on the reprofiled turn. Um, I want to say six or seven or five. I think it is the one. That, uh, well, there used to be the chicane heading into the hairpin, and now yeah. there's sort of. I a forgot to mention that one last hairpin. week. Yeah, I forgot yeah. that they changed three parts of this track, including this. There was a great video on. Um, uh, I think WTF1's YouTube channel was a sponsored bit about the Formula One video game, but they had 
Charles Leclerc talking about the track <laughs> every time they were like oh they reprofiled that section do you like that and he was like no it was better before <laughs> <laughs> but like he was like I love, I love all those chicanes I miss them but it's fine whatever um, but yeah um, they all went around and didn't crash into each other the start of things to come but like it wasn't long before we got some real good dust up between Hamilton and signs there uh, and and sort of a, a, a replay of last year's uh, you know brush with Verstappen really yes uh, as as he heads into that left right left right hander uh, and I'm the curious, old Hamilton trick <laughs> well I'm, I am curious what y'all y'all made of this because it, one it was kind of interesting how it was how it was like like played so uh, so, like signs comes down fast on the inside heading into the left hand corner uh, at the at the end of the straight and to me, it looks pretty fifty-fifty. Like they're they're pretty much side by side through the through the next corner, uh, through through the through the left hander, and then signs brings it over to make the the right hander, and runs Hamilton out wide over the curb. Hamilton's car seems to vault three feet in the air. Like that thing just yeah. like jumps as the uh, floor plating hits the hits the curb. It it jumps. It bounces hard. And Hamilton straight lines the second corner and comes out uh, ahead of signs. And what's interesting is we get two separate reviews of the incident. It was, and I'm I'm not sure. I kind of dig it because it was like one of the times where it has been clearest what the thought process the stewards are following has been. Hmm. Where you can see first they are trying they they you know investigate whether or not Hamilton was forced off the track by signs. And they decided he didn't. And then Hamilton is directed to give the place back. Mm. Yeah, which which he does um, uh, at la- around lap four. But yeah, I... It's, it's one of those... Um, it's times like this where I really, you know notice in stark relief that i am not a formula one driver (laughs) or that i'm not a racing driver at all because i don't know what kind of sixth sense these guys have like i i surmise that hamilton probably knew that someone was going to try a move like that and if you are polite (laughs) uh you would know that's happening check it and oh this person's coming through then i'll slow down because i don't want to go off track um but that's not how racing drivers work they're like nope this is mine i'm staying here and then by the time carlos signs uh pulls even with hamilton he has no choice but to go off uh onto the curb uh to avoid colliding with signs well he has Uh, a choice because he can slow down like that's hamilton never does but in those moments where they're side by side Hamilton can ease out of the can back out of the corner. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, mm. like, and he and he chooses not to. He always chooses um, not to, and it's the it's the reason we've had these like fights between him and Verstappen, where everyone's like throwing up their version of events, you know, in in the fandom because neither of them ever give an inch. Yeah, <laughs> no, know? and, and these, they're and both these, Ayrton this, Senna, you know, acolytes. You know what I mean? Well, in this specific corner, like configuration, just generates these incidents because it is always. Like the fact that the position, the relative positions flip heading into the second turn, I think always makes this so confusing. It, to me, it was odd that like it was an open and shut. He 
now had to give the position back, which I guess, you know, he did hold on to the position by by going off. But yeah, yeah, like there was there was not a lot of room. He could he could have backed out. But at the same time, the weird thing about these corners is it wasn't like he was taking a crazy wide line to the first corner. He just couldn't turn in as much to make the second corner. Mm. Uh, And I guess, you know, maybe that is just tactically what should be the dynamic of corners like this. Whereas if a guy can seize control of that middle and inside line heading into the first one, he's going to complete the pass in, in the second and you can't, you can't just like white knuckle and, and try to hold it, Uh, which, you know, I guess that's very consistent with the, uh, with the max rolling last, last week in, in some ways, right. Where, Mm. uh, you know, you're, if you got into trouble in the second in in the second turn, that's on you, buddy. Yeah, and like nobody thinks that signs forced him off the track. It was a good overtake, and also it seems pretty clear that he got the place back because he just cut the track. So I, to yeah. me, this was yeah. like very like yeah, good, give it back. Um, signs was apparently apparently thought that Hamilton gave the position back in a cheeky spot because then he managed to get a couple of DRS runs on him to uh, basically make the move stick well, <laughs> a lap later. A- which yeah, I thought was fun. That's a good point though cuz that was right around the time. So y- you're right. Um you know, we had so in this like uh we also get I'm just going to put a marker here. That jump that Hamilton's car made just stuck in my mind and it wasn't long before he started saying things that made you wonder how it came down. The other thing that starts to unfold here though, incredible Esteban Ocon uh Sebastian Vettel. Uh, duel happening all around yes. the track lap after lap and look i know we're all getting sentimental because Seb's retiring but there was a part of this whole weekend where it's like look at that guy he still yeah. got it he He's still great. got it we just need to get him like we just need to get him on a decent car with good like with, with good vibes uh because because i think you know he clearly he was unfortunate in his timing at ferrari in a lot of ways he like the tail end of the Alonso era and the start of the Vettel era, I do not think are banner years for Ferrari. Uh, but th- this duel was a reminder of like, it really his his performance in qualifying too. Like he is still such a smooth driver uh, who can, can hook it up so completely and maintain these like blistering paces uh, for, for lap after for lap after lap. And the, and the Ocon duel was a real, a real taste of that. And all I could think was, Vettel deserved a better car than that Aston. Like it's just it's mm. it's so frustrating watching. It's like it's he can do everything right. He seems to have like the he seemed to have complete command of of the the car the track this week. But that Aston, it almost just feels like it runs out of gas uh, at, at key moments. Right, it just gets well, like like a sprinter whose conditioning is bad. It just <laughs> it just comes up short in these uh in, you know in the, in these clinches. I just want to make one note on the Hamilton thing you mentioned. So I saw an interview with him after the fact where he did say after he had that bottom out that he basically had too much front end grip, I'm pretty sure he said, and that they dialed it back with the front wing on his first stop. And then he said he got it, but he got his balance back. So you're right, Rob. Apparently after he, he had that, there were some issues with, with the car that had to be rectified. But yeah. 
um, classy, classy Seb Vettel. Post-race, there was lots of like, you know, on the F1 YouTube channel and stuff, lots of conversations about Sebastian, this and that. And everyone was saying like, he's a fair racer. You know what I mean? As tough as he is, he's fair. And I think when we look at the Hamilton-Verstappen battles, and I want to stop ragging on him as much as I can, but um, I think that is a question people come up with a bit more, which is like... You know, they're both tactical and smart. I don't think people would say they're necessarily fair, um, which I think is a fair thing to say. And Vettel kind of is. But then also Vettel can can be now because he's not fighting for championships. You know, let's rewind the clock eight years and see how fair he was. When he right, was going, I think he was right, first or second championship, you know. Well, and also, like, I mean, you <laughs> saw famously when he was in the hunt in that year in, with Ferrari, you saw the yeah, elbows got very yeah, sharp, maybe self-destructively so. Um, yeah, that is true. Especially that Ferrari stint, you're right. Yeah, and talk about not playing nice with your teammates. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Multi twenty one. <laughs> good point. Good point. This is he became Multi-21 the villain of F one because he was Multi-21. like sticking the blade in Mark Webber every every chance he got. <laughs> uh, the the other thing I'll call out, call out though is um so you know you have the you're right so so Hamilton makes it makes life hard on signs. And also he and Russell get into it a little bit, but the speed differential between them seems really shocking. And I was wondering if it was just like battery dynamics, but it's around this time that Hamilton starts to complain that like he's also, he's, he's saying he's down on power. And the commentators were mentioning that, well, it's, again, probably is the battery uh, from from these last few laps he's he's turning but his pace looks so off uh and he kept saying like something's wrong with the car and i you know i i'm immediately thinking there's so much delicate equipment in these cars uh that are meant to take certain types of force and load and impact mm. but like the car being dropped like a child's toy uh, is is not quite one of them and i i, I did wonder and and later you know with with how the race eventually turns out you know, I, I I still wonder if um, that trip over the curb didn't pretty profoundly unsettle uh, mm. the car for the for the duration of the race. Yeah, well, Hamilton uh, is is passed by Russell, um, perhaps suffering from some floor damage on lap nine. Uh, Russell passing with DRS for fifth place. Some of Russell's work is undone, however, by a poor pit stop on lap sixteen, which concludes with him being released unsafely into the path yeah, of Norris, earning him a five-second penalty. Not awesome. Uh, not not awesome. Uh, lap 23, Alonso shaking things up by passing Sonoda and Botas in the same corner. God, that was cool. Yeah. At the end of the back straight. Uh, unfortunately for him, five laps, five laps later, Alpine call him in to retire the car for a suspected water leak. Uh, we haven't really touched upon a really important factor in this season at all. Um, what do we think of Valtteri Bottas's mustache? Hey, I like it. Um, I think he looks great. And I think, like, mustachioed Valtteri seems like it's all of a piece with him just getting more settled in and comfortable mm-hmm. uh, outside yeah, of yeah. The, the Mercedes pressure yeah. maker. Yeah, it's kind of his old man phase, I feel like. Um yeah, he's worry. like, I'm just going to sit here in next to this, like, mountain brook. I'm not putting pants on. Mm-hmm. Don't worry maybe about he watched, it. Maybe he watched Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. 1974 and was like, I need one of those that mustaches. That coolest. That guy's yeah. rad. I want to be that guy. But also, oh, I want, want my car Dr. to be able Botas. to... 
be okay if I wrap around a pole. Well, <laughs> yeah. So here's the here's the other thing though. I so I actually enjoyed this race quite a bit, but like again, my F1 fandom is forged in the darkest days of strategy races. Like <laughs> so, like I got cut my teeth on races where it's like, ooh, how much fuel are they going to put in it? Do you think? Uh, what? <laughs> like obviously, we all know nobody's overtaking on the track this race, but I wonder what will happen with pit strategies. But one of the things that emerged uh, in this in this first stage of the race is, is kind of the question of is anyone going to be trying to uh, one stop? Is is a one stop really viable here? Uh, what what strategies are actually in play? And it it did not feel like the the teams were necessarily confident of uh, of the answers they'd they'd come up with but you know as we as we start to see the the pit stops uh, filter in you do have this like looming question of who is who's going to try to to stretch this out and you know one of one of one of the people evidently doing that is Sebastian Vettel uh who you know after an early early stage of the race and and doing really well on those medium tires for a while he just starts getting gobbled up by everyone and it crosses that line. He kind of ends up going over the cliff, right? Where his lap times are so off the race pace that he is beginning to just uh, lose. He's like losing an entire pit stop. Uh, you know, he's he's basically losing the time on the track that he would he would probably lose in the pits. And you know, it's it's this big gamble of if he stretches those mediums out. Uh, will will he be sort of in the sweet spot with the hards uh, for long enough to to make up this damage and and will they have the kind of sweet spot uh, that that makes that viable and you know it, it I think their their strategy was probably the boldest I, I saw mm-hmm. this this weekend it was a real we are going to try to get you pretty high up in the in the standings under this theory that by going deep in stint one uh, we're gonna have a great overall race pace. And that prospect started to look real dicey as you just see him plummeting uh, in the in the laps before his pit stop. Yeah, there's another big uh, pit stop um, uh, battle going on with uh, Leclerc and Perez. Mm -hmm. Um, Leclerc is told to box opposite Perez. And Mattia Bonato said after the race, uh, team principal of Ferrari, that that was a dummy that uh, they did that to force or to trick Red Bull uh, to come in, to pull Perez in uh, for a two-stop because Ferrari, I guess, uh, was committed to doing a one-stop with Leclerc. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Lap 28, Vettel's still making moves on people, diving down the inside of Gasly uh, for 13th place on lap 28. Um, Lap 39, uh, Mick Schumacher closes up to Latifi as they head into the hairpin and just gives him the slightest of taps to the rear, which is enough to spin both cars, earning Schumacher a five-second penalty in his maybe last race. Spinning them both out of F1. Just a nice little pirouette <laughs> for the fans. Yep. And a wave. I know, yeah. Just, Sticks yeah, 100% dots. on Mick. Silly mistake. Didn't, uh, just, yeah, shame. Absolute bummer. The whole past couple of races have just been a bummer if you're a Mick Schumacher fan. I would say the whole season, perhaps. Yeah, there were high moments. Uh, He got that one point in Silverstone, was it? You know? 
Yeah. But yeah, it's not been great. Uh, lap, lap 44, lap, uh, yeah, lap 44, Vettel is not done overtaking people. This time getting around Joe on the outside into turn nine and into the points. Uh, but as I said, probably the biggest fight we're watching this race is Perez versus Leclerc for second place in the championship. By lap 45, Perez is sitting in fourth, having done that two-stop strategy to the one-stop of Leclerc, who's sitting in second. Uh, crucially for Perez, he's got to get by Hamilton and takes the opportunity to pass on the inside of the chicane. But Hamilton gets DRS for the next straight and retakes the place. Perez also locking up, I think, into that corner. Uh, on the next lap, Perez has DRS into turn nine and this time makes it stick. Uh, lap 49, Stroll, who's on himself a two-stop, gets by his teammate Vettel, uh, who is doing that one-stop. Uh, Stroll into 10th with DRS, jeopardizing Vettel's ability to score points in his final race. But... Vettel gets some help on lap 55 as Hamilton radios that he is no longer able to shift. His team suggesting that he might have a hydraulic problem. Hamilton then slowly makes his way back to the pits, uh, but has to retire, elevating Sebastian Vettel to 10th place to score points in his final race. Uh, but he is not done. Down to the final turn, fighting with Daniel Ricciardo for ninth place. Uh, this was great. In the end, it wasn't close enough. Uh, but still as a as good a result, I think, as could be expected. Uh, and cool to see him going down, fighting with a with a former teammate, nonetheless. Uh, back in the podium places, Perez can't quite close the gap to Leclerc as they come home third and second to Verstappen, who we barely saw the entire race. Uh, of course, Verstappen could have slowed down toward the end of the race and backed Leclerc up into Perez. Uh, but he doesn't, saying after the race in this quote from race fans, uh, quote, that is quite a tricky call to make. Of course, you can possibly block. But I mean, is that fair racing? I think it's not the <laughs> nicest way going out of the season like that. Which Danny, uh, I, smiling. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with him. I think it would have been quite a backup. He would have had to have done. He was like fairness. seven seconds. Yeah, ahead. That would have been an absurd he, call. Yeah, that would have it, been it, an it absurd was a, call. It, it, yeah, it would have been ridiculous. But obviously, in this hyper-divisive uh, um, world of F1 we live in, it is very funny to hear that and then think about how Perez won him the championship last year by backing up Hamilton. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but I do think they are. It's an apples to orange, you know what I mean, comparison. Yeah, no, like, like it's, it's not Perez a fair comparison. Perez was fighting a holding you know? action last year uh, to, to like stop Hamilton from running away uh, from, from Verstappen. Yeah, and this would have been this an impossible. Been very this is just this just ends up with Verstappen <laughs> losing the race. Like that, that yeah. basically just like he ends. The the real issue is, and the, like this this came to pass exactly for for Sergio. He needed to give him some extra points last week. That was the yes, opportunity he could have done it. That was when he manipulated was, it, yeah, and he was exactly. like, "Of course, I'll help him in Abu Dhabi." And it's like F one doesn't work that way. Like exactly. it's actually pretty yeah. rare that you totally. can just like strategize that way. And by not making that call, uh, you know, he, he does kind of leave uh Sergio in the lurch. But like, hey, you know, the, the funny thing is the the one the one stopper thing, everyone seemed really on the edge with it. You know, you had Hamilton Hamilton being like, please do not leave me out on the one stop. 
Uh, and it was clear they had left him out on on the one stop. They were they were not bringing him in. Uh, Leclerc also was was kind of white knuckling it, uh, you know, there toward the end as uh, you know Perez was trying to trying to run him down. But you know, ha- after a after a season really of dodgy Ferrari race calls uh, and and getting a bit wrong here here they seem to get it pretty right like you know from from where qualifying ended up to be able to get uh, Leclerc up there into in the second uh, on on the back of a strategy call and and sticking by it you know obviously pro- the most credit probably goes to Leclerc for maintaining that kind of pace uh, over over that long extent and dealing with that kind of deck but. You know, uh, if if the crisis at Ferrari really centers on ability to call a race strategy, they did that pretty effectively here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. For sure. Uh, Fettel does some donuts for the crowd and uh, a lovely curtain call, uh, putting a cap on his Formula One career. Uh, but in the end, the result of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix looks like this. Max Verstappen in first, Charles Leclerc in second, Sergio Perez rounding out the podium. Behind them, we've got Carlos Sainz in fourth, George Russell in fifth, uh, then Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Lance Stroll, Daniel Ricciardo, and Sebastian Vettel rounding out the top ten. Behind them, Yuki Tsunoda in 11th, Zhou Guanyu in 12th, Alex Albon in 13th, Pierre Gasly 14th, Valtteri Bottas 15th, then Mick Schumacher, Kevin uh, yeah, Kevin Magnussen, Lewis Hamilton with a DNF, Nicholas Latifi with a DNF, and Fernando Alonso not classified with a DNF. Lando Norris, additional point for the fastest lap of the race. Oh, nice. Cool. I did not know that. And that's your Abu Dhabi, and that's your season... 2022. Let's go to the driver standings. Max Verstappen, of course, the championship winner, is in first place with 454 points at the conclusion of the season. Charles Leclerc in second with 308 to Sergio Perez, 305. George Russell finishes in fourth place with 275 points. Carlos Sainz in fifth with 246 Lewis Hamilton just behind in 6th place with 240 points. Lando Norris in that coveted 7th position with 122 points. Esteban Ocon finishes 8th with 92. Fernando Alonso, his teammate, in ninth with 81. Uh, That's, you know, pretty good uh, for Ocon beating Mm -hmm. the two-time world champion. Yeah. Um, Valtteri Bottas finishes in... His best buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Finishes in 10th place with uh, 49 points. That's a that's quite a gap there. Finishes. I get it. Oh, very nice. Uh, then we got a tie between guess who? Daniel Ricardo and Sebastian Vettel, thirty-seven <laughs> points. Uh, Kevin Magnussen thirteenth with twenty-five points. Pierre Gasly fourteenth with twenty-three. Lance Stroll fifteenth with eighteen. Then another tie between Mick Schumacher and Yuki Tsunoda uh, in sixteenth and seventeenth for twelve with twelve points. Uh, Zhou Guanyu. Uh, in 18th place with six points, Alex Albon with four, Nicholas Tsifi and Nick DeVries with two, and Nico Hulkenberg with zero. You'll probably get some more next year. Uh, and also, we should mention those aren't technically ties because in both cases, yeah. it, uh, the driver's top position, I think it is, is what delineates who is higher. Um, right. Or like, yeah, more 
more fifth places than sixth places, you know, mm. stuff like that. Uh, 2022 constructor standings. Red Bull Racing finishes on top with 759 points to Ferrari's 554. They stay ahead of Mercedes in third with 515. Alpine finishes fourth with 173 points. McLaren fifth with 159. Here's another tie. That's not really a tie, I guess. Alfa Romeo in sixth with 55. Aston Martin in seventh with 55. I imagine those also are cumulative, you know, uh, race race finishes. Average finish position, something like that. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, top one, I think, again, because Bo- okay. Bottas talked afterwards about how at a certain point, because he was added a point as well, and he was at a certain point, he was just like, I'm just going to drive and not try and crash into anyone because I think if we end now, we're okay. <laughs> we'll yeah. be good. Uh, so he said, yeah, it was pretty chill uh, second half to the race. Uh, Gene Haas and team finish eighth with 37 points. Alpha Tauri ninth with 35. Uh, that's a matter of millions of dollars. So yeah. uh, that's, that's important. Williams in 10th with eight total points sell Dorton capital get out <laughs> you gotta find somebody to buy this they're still in the building phase they're still in the building phase it's okay next year's car next year's car done. it's done you gotta find someone to come in and sort this situation here's the other thing i need to you know i guess when we would talk about our season recap next week something i'm gonna uh, i, I want to pay a little more attention to when i sort of review this season is um should we be concerned about AlphaTauri? You know, I feel like a few years ago they were yeah. Red Bull 1.5, right? Where like up there, you know, obviously you you know you had weird circumstances that led Gasly won a race, win. right? Yeah, and that required but, some like DNFs, but yes, they were up there. Uh, you know, pretty pretty high in the in the, in the top ten, pretty routinely fighting for meaningful positions. They finished sixth in the driver or constructors mm. champion last year yeah and the and the come up you know like behind haas uh at the at the end of this year now admittedly haas tanked a year and also effectively had one driver uh for for, for a year but like yeah i don't know the the, the fall off of form at at alpha tori i find a little bit uh, uh a little bit alarming if if i'm a if i'm a fan there and i and i do think they're an interesting team uh, it's just it's kind of shocking to see how far they plummeted uh, toward, you know, real like kind of where you ex- expect a support team to exist. And I wonder what that holds. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of standings, uh, I'm going to finish off our uh, fantasy league standings here. Uh, the season has concluded. Wow. And uh, from from Abu Dhabi, here's the podium. In third place, Patrick's team from America putting it all on red. Uh, In second place, uh, from America, Rajiv's team, Scuderia Eluthazen. Wait, where did this team come out of? I've never heard of them before. I know. Uh, This is is Abu Dhabi, not the overall Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, and then in first place in Abu Dhabi from the UK, Keith's team Splash and Dash two. All right, better Keith than Splash and Dash one, and presumably three and four to refueling. Mm. Uh, but the podium overall in our fantasy league. You know what? I'll do the top ten. Yes, they all deserve it. They all deserve it. Sorry, eleven. 
I need to set a reminder to do this next year. I'm just bad at it. I need something to to really tune me in to what's happening at the the back of the pack because I'm gonna I'm gonna moneyball my my fantasy F1 strategy. I'm gonna be like, who's gonna provide the most value uh, in in these races? Alex Alvin, I got big plans for you, son. <laughs> All right, yes, the top ten. From our fantasy league overall season standing, starting with number 10, Scott's team from Canada. Started from the Botas, now we're here. Terrific. Good stuff. We should be at a separate table for best names, but you're all winners, really, in my eyes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in ninth place from Puerto Rico, Speedy G's team, Justice 44 Hamilton. Whoa, that's intense. Uh, from America in eighth place, James's team, Maximum F Vert. Yeah, I love that. Love that all year. Uh, seventh place from America, Andy's team. Now this is pod racing. <laughs> and we've got actually a pair of teams from Scott S. Wow. From Canada. Both named Botas Beats Battlestar Galactica. Accidentally submitted the same team twice. Don't worry about it. Hey, look. <laughs> You knocked have number 11 scores. off the top 10 with your administrative error. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, actually, check this out. Three of the top four teams are owned by Robert S. from Canada. Wow. Is it the same line out of drivers, I wonder? <laughs> Just uh, pr- st- probably stack not. Stacking the deck. Um, but yes, Robert's team in fourth place is called Donkaseb and Mick... Nick and Danny Rick. Uh, in third place, Robert's team. See you next season, Speedy Race Car fans. <laughs> in second place, from Canada, Michael's team, Leo Speed. Leo Speed. And in first place, overall, with 4,640 points. Wow. Robert's team from Canada. Thanks for the podcast, Danny, Drew, and Rob. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much, Robert. Rigged. Yes. Rigged. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for changing all your Pandering names works. last week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, fair play to you all. I don't know how people consistently stay at the top of that. There's a lot of people. How many people? Not, do you know how many people are in our league? Just uh, I just the, closed it. Let me. Sorry. Let me yeah. It always seems like an intimidating amount um, where I just do not understand how someone gets in like the one percentile, let alone the top 10. Uh, gosh, I it says uh, 4,540. Jeez. But I don't know if that's teams or people because you can okay. put in. Oh, yeah, it's, it's 4,536 teams. Whoa. And you can put in up to three teams. Wild. You're all wild yeah. people. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of drivers, teams, and the rankings therein, uh, let's get to the news. Rob, news. we finally have confirmation here from Haas. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no surprises here. This is basically leaked to leaked to press uh, last last week, but 
Nico Hulkenberg is re-entering uh, F1 with with Haas. Uh, one more chance to just throw it in the face of probably those teenagers or, or college kids uh, now who were so mean to him at that window store uh, back in <laughs> back in 2016. Oh my god! All those all but, those kids are now yeah they're all ancient they all have office jobs. How you like me now? <laughs> racing for Haas. Uh, but you know the the, the funny thing is so. He gave a little more detail about how this all came together. It really does seem like it does not seem like the fix was in. Uh, it does seem like Haas was really weighing its options uh, through this year. But apparently they reached out to him uh, in in the summer, just gauging interest. Uh, actually, so he reached out to uh, Gunther Steiner, actually, uh, sort of explaining that he that he might have some interest in in coming back. Uh, and you know, apparently like talks sort of progressed through the year. Haas had a, a few options that they were considering. There was the, we didn't really get into it, but Giovinazzi was, was in the picture there, uh, for a while, but, but ultimately they've, uh, they, they brought him back. I think they, the teams already did their, did their tests, uh, where, where they, you know, where, where the drivers for next year take a, take a couple laps at Abu Dhabi in the, um, in, yeah, in this a lot year's of cars. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting move. Uh and obviously it leaves it leaves Mick with w- without a seat. Uh now Total Wolf has like sort of extended the possibility uh that Schumacher might be able to get a you know get a gig with a you know as a reserve driver or a test driver. Um which is a sweet gesture. I don't know. I I don't know what the future actually holds for Mick. Like we we've talked about it as a on the one hand, it's a tough market. Um, a lot of young drivers just entered the sport, so it seems like getting new seats is going to be harder uh, than than it was necessarily this year. Also, like I don't know. Did we see enough of Mick? Before we go to get to Hulkenberg, I'm curious, like, do we feel that, like, is Mick a known quantity or is this one of the situations where it was a really compromised time in F1? You got to compare someone against a teammate and, like, I think he comes out pretty unfavorable. And and it's not, it's it's not like Magnussen is, or, yeah, it's not like K-Mag is, like, this, like, absolute, you know, guilt-edge driver. It's, you know what I mean? Like... The the gap that's there is just a little bit <laughs> too much, and and yeah, and and mistakes. There was a lot of mistakes, a lot of unforced errors, all the way to the final race with like a, a silly little incident. Like I I yeah. wanted like so many people for Mick to like clean this up and and be in there, but his mentality never seemed to help either. Like very down on himself. Very you know, sort of reminded me of the Albon years at Red yeah. Bull. Um, you know, just wasn't happy, wasn't comfortable, and was never able to shake it off. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. Um, I, I laugh because Rob's <laughs> Rob's face. You saying Kevin Magnuson wasn't you know a generational talent? <laughs> Rob, was, huh? Hmm? But it's, it's huh? like well, I was waiting oh. Drew because like Drew always carried a bit of a torch for for K Mag, and I'll be honest, I'm coming around to it. I always thought like uh, I don't know, the guy seems a bit of a prat, but. Like, you know, I think it might have been the end of that last season or early this one when when it was clear Mag, Mag was rejoining the team. And I, I sort of joked. I was like, 
Schumacher needs to tape his picture to his locker and just like <laughs> this is who you have to defeat. Like this is this is like you know, he is the the minotaur of, of Haas, really. Like he he saw he saw Roman off and now you know, if you, you're not careful, he will do the same to you. But like Magnuson I mean, He also lost his seat and only got back because a war started. So it's not like he's been you know, yeah, but he lost the seat. I think predominantly because that team was broke. That team was so that that team was was in pretty hard shape. But mm. I guess here's here's my thinking about. Uh, like, I'm kind of with you. I think it, it seems like it'd be a very hard road back uh, for Mick, barring a turn in another, another series, maybe that gets some buzz around him. Uh, but with Hulkenberg, I, I also kind of wonder if you're Haas. It seems like one of the real issues with Mick was that to the point the time out in the press, we, we mentioned it, but like Mick cracked up a lot of cars this year. Like he was an expensive driver to run and Haas is not in a position where they can just absorb <laughs> tons of write offs uh, on these cars. And more importantly, they are dependent on so many other suppliers for their parts that like if a chassis goes in the bin, it is not a guaranteed thing that there is another one ready to go or they can acquire easily. And so I wonder if you're, if you're Gunther Steiner and yes, you made some gains, you're going to have a much bigger budget, uh, you know, than, uh, you know, this year than, than you've had in the past. But is there something like, is this maybe the perfect lineup for you where you get two really steady hands? Hopefully, you know, Hulkenberg in his comments talks about how relaxed he feels about things if you're Gunther Steiner, what you want here maybe is just like two really stable drivers to yes. keep the cars intact, get the points when they're on the table, and not make like the desperate moves or the rookie moves that cost you a lot of money and position. Um, That's exactly how I see it, and I think it is the smart thing to do for us. Well, especially because... Haas is such a weird team because they are so dependent on like third party uh, part suppliers. But the other thing is they aren't really a support team properly. They have relationships with other teams, but like despite where they sit in the field, they they're not actually a good place to develop rookie talent. They really they really aren't. They can't yeah. they can't afford the cost of of doing this. And and I do wonder if like. Between this season and last year, dealing with someone like uh, Nikita Mazepin, with even if you set aside the the, the persona issues, it was yet just a, such a clear case of, yep, we got another rookie coming in that just is not cut out for this. And I do wonder if like Gunther just wants some <laughs> some grizzled old veterans to drive the goddamn car and keep it on the track. Yeah, and they don't have the the budget to pull someone like Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso, but the the the, journey, the, the journeyman driver is perfect for them. So I, I I'll I'll be anxious to see how they how they do next year. Um, the other confirmation here uh, in the Formula One seats, Logan Sargent will be points. racing for Williams next year. He is coming from Formula Two. He's an American driver. We haven't had an American driver since 2015. And his also his name is Logan Sargent. So pretty good. Yeah. As American names go. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Uh yeah, as you alluded to, Danny, 
Um, there was a stipulation set out by Williams team principal, Jost Capito, uh, earlier this season saying, uh, we want, uh, Sergeant to be our driver, but he has to get the proper super license points, meaning he has to finish well in the formula two championship standings. He did. So he secured fourth in the final driver standings for formula two, uh, after, the these, uh, this, this, the Abu Dhabi round of formula yeah. two. So he's got him, uh, and he is in. So, uh, looking forward to how he does. Yeah, good for American viewership as well. A um, little bit squeaky there. He like, he could have done an Interlagos and didn't, and then he had a little bit of fortune. There was a retirement in front of him in the F2 race, and um, he did some pretty good passes near the end. Uh, so, yeah, when the heat was on, he managed to do it. He is 21 years old from Florida. Love it. But we won't hold that against him. Um, in other driver news, Daniel Ricardo. Uh, hasn't confirmed anything yet, although Christian Horner has has confirmed that there is an offer on the table for him to return to Red Bull as a support driver. So doing things like show runs, uh, marketing duties, um, maybe some development stuff. Uh, Ricardo himself, when asked about IndyCar, says that, you know, I've had, in this quote from motorsport.com, I've had a lot of IndyCar drivers reach out and say, like, mate, you would love it here. Uh, They were (laughs) very enthusiastic and spoke very highly of the series. And I'm not saying I wouldn't. The racing looks great. But let's say I think mentally I'm just not there at the moment. I'm still kind of, I still kind of, I'm still kind of with Formula One in my mind. Sometimes transcriptions of the way people talk are (laughs) tough to recompute into speech. Um he also says that, uh, or when talking about it in October, he said that ovals scare me. Yes. Uh, 10 years ago, I would have said, yes, I'm okay to admit that I'm not okay with ovals. Yeah. Uh, he also has, uh, as this article points out, twice sampled supercars. The Australian, um, this is basically like Australian NASCAR, but they race on circuits instead of ovals uh, for promotional runs. Very fun series. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems like he's fully focused on Sticking around F1, waiting in the wings for maybe a 2024 seat. I, this uh, is, so one, I think we now won the clock back. His, maybe his move out of Red Bull is not an all-time worst F1 decision, but to have it all come back here now as a reserve driver does indicate that like reverse, like it is a reverse Midas situation in terms mm-hmm. of like career development. Uh, and I think, you know, I go back to that drive to survive where that buddy he ended up with in court over like management fees, uh, helping counsel him through whether oh, or yeah. not. He, yeah, dude. He was like, God, I forgot his manager was like a bro. And then his bro was like, so your bro gets 20% of your earnings, right? And it goes to court and it turns into a whole mess. But like to have it all go this way uh, is 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 really rough. Now I, I stand by that move was probably the right one. I think the the move out of Renault uh just seems like that was yeah. that was where things went really, really wrong. I think he'd I think if he stays at Renault, I think he'd been with that team through some rough times and was showing some real form. And I think, you know, he might have been this world where I think he ends up being like a beloved era defining driver for Renault Alpine. And instead, we we come to this. But I'm curious, what do we think the the game plan here is? Like, one is is Christian just sentimental? 
Like, it, you know, as hard <laughs> as these bastards can be, this seems like such a... I guess if you wanted to like take the darkest view of it, maybe it's like, yeah, you come crawling back. Yeah, get that's the, where I kind of go with it a little bit. Get like, in the whenever, reserve dog pound. Whenever you ask, whenever Christian's asked about Daniel, he always talks about how well he did at, at Red Bull and how he never um, materialized that um, talent in other teams. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I would, I, I think he's a super competitive guy and is kind of just, yeah. A mixture of the two, maybe. Like, hey, come back and do some work with us because you're probably best known for your stint here at this stage. Um, and also, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Ricard, uh, over the past couple of months, I've come to sort of get a better, or at least my understanding of Ricardo's issues has to do with this spec of car more than it has to do with any one team, maybe. I'm not, I'm not quite sure because McLaren had a good car. Like, Lando was driving the wheels off of it and getting good points. And Daniel was just never able to do it, so I don't know. I don't know if he stood at stayed at Alpine as the same thing happened. Um, it's just it's a messy career because still he can't point out a thing and say that's why he can't say I was in a bad team. He can't say I had a dodgy relationship with the principal or I never got on with my teammate or I never got what was deserved to me or communications were bad. He just couldn't drive the new cars like and at, at, at multiple teams. So that like, happens. Who's picking, like, who's picking this guy? Say up? once the once the cars got rid of the Trez was never the same driver, right? Yeah, but yeah, uh, I, Daniel was never that guy either. Right? He was never a championship winning driver. He was never really in the fight for championships. All honestly, even in his years with Red Bull, so it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I think he he had, he ends up leaving the sport looking like a bit of a Hulkenberg, like somebody who just needs a seat to open up somewhere, and by the grace of God, just have yeah. to have the mask for him to come. I mean, I, I think it's is wise of Red Bull to to hang on to him either for uh, Alphatari um, or for you know if if they <laughs> my cynical side says well they can just keep treating Sergio Perez terribly and if he opts to leave uh, Daniel Ricardo can step in he, Daniel is a known quantity uh, you know he won't have to you know get used to the team because he already knows them. Um, they can probably get him cheaper for them than what they were paying him when he left uh, because he now, you know, beggars can't be choosers. He wants a seat. He's got that wine money. He's fine. It's true. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Rob, were you going to say something? Yeah, I just, you know, it, it it is possible it is just a very, a very generous offer to keep him, like, race current and basically, like, let him hang out and... and see if something shakes loose in the next year or two. Uh, also, I do think there's enough dynamism in motorsport right now where having a driver with that sort of rep and uh, experience level under contract could end up being useful in other ways uh, that we can't quite foresee yet. Uh, just, mm-hmm. in, in, just in terms of, you know, other, other racing series where opportunities might open up or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just such a, a weird twist in this in the story. I think it would be it, uh, if I'm if I'm Ricardo. It's a it's a very hard thing to come back to. Uh, but yeah, not not an embarrassment of options here. Mm. Well, let's move on uh, to the next story, Danny. Yeah, I got two quickies here. Uh, first one is um, uh, <clears throat> a, a, sort of a bizarre announcement. Honestly, F1 announces a new all female series called F1 Academy to start in 2023. So uh, this from race fans. Uh, apparently, this new championship F1 Academy will run across seven triple header race weekends next year. A total of fifteen cars will contest twenty-one rounds. Um, 
So I looked up what's going on with W Series. Obviously, they sort of quit this year to focus on fundraising for next year. Um, it seems like if this gets the go-ahead then or has gotten the go-ahead that perhaps that's not a great sign for w series involvement in the f1 calendar next year at least i don't um, know read on sorry? I, I i don't know about that uh because this is i mean they they're saying here that um the idea is that this will be like a a series where then they would jump to w series or formula uh, three formula two that kind of thing the car is about half as powerful as the W series cars. It's 160 horsepower to like 270 for W series. So it's, I don't think it's meant as a replacement for W no, series. I don't think so. Either. Sorry, just to finish the, yeah, yeah. they said it, according to race fans pulling from whoever is running this thing, they said it's not intended as a rival to W series, uh, which of course we know we've been covering for years. And in more recent years was uh, a support series for F1. It wasn't always, they sort of like built up to that. Um, and they have said that it is supposed to allow drivers to progress into W Series, Formula 3, Formula 2, and Formula 1. Like you said, the cars are lower spec. The amount of investment for each driver, um, which this uh, academy is going to do, is obviously at a much lower rate than um, W Series. But I do wonder if W Series has is in legitimate difficult financial situation if they can't finish a season that i do wonder if this is f1 basically taking the first steps into bringing what has now been established as a seemingly uh big growth market w series did well over the you know it grew over the you know four or five seasons it's, it's been around um that this is them putting their sort of uh hand on the on it and and sort of go taking their first steps into owning the uh, women's racing uh, going forward as well because we don't okay. know if w series is going to come back <clears throat> next year i see what you mean it's, it, it could act more like a uh, a backstop in case w series does go away and also maybe like if if the goal here is that they're going to be progressing into uh you know if, if they're going to be pre- progressing into things like uh for- formula three formula two this is definitely a we are trying to widen the intake at the end of the pipeline uh, and, right. and try because you can always, I mean, one of the things that organizations often do industries feels this is a routine thing. If you, you blame the pipeline, right? You're like, well, we're just, you know, during, because this, the way people are sorted out and, and people drop out, uh, it is, there's an attrition rate and it's just like, you're going to get very, very few, uh, like people, of some sort of marginalized identity at, at one end of it. In F1, that does have some grounds where like W series, the, the the problem is it's kind of parallel to the feeder system that the F1 teams like to use. And so I guess if you're, you're, you're saying like, we're going to get more women into the actual feeder series and have them come up and be in the places where teams tend to recruit from, that's going to, uh, you know, improve the chances down the road. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's key because what this differs from something like W series, because W series is, it's like, this is where W series is where you land when you have experience yeah. as a, as a female driver. Yeah. Uh, getting that experience is the hard part uh, or is one of the hard parts. Right. And so the, the F1 Academy, uh, they have three races per round um, and they don't uh, run on F1 weekends, which means they get more track time. So oh, that cool. was actually a downside of 
running with F1 weekends uh, for W series because you, you you only had your very limited sessions and then the race. So uh, I think this is, you know, I think they'll, I hope they work well in tandem with each other. Um, I, I should say there's seven seven rounds planned. One of them will be on an F1 weekend, but the other ones are, are not for that reason. It's cool. I th- I think the other thing that it's it's great, obviously, that there's more investment happening into women's racing and and trying to like stop all these sort of systemic issues with with getting talent, uh, or 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 you know giving talent the time to to develop. Um, I I think the other thing that maybe the, in in my sort of cynical view, or or I don't know, maybe it's not cynical, but the other thing that this does is is take the other strategy which uh, W Series could have done, and there was. Sort of, sort of criticism of it at one stage which was that the average age of the drivers in W Series was higher was like misaligned with the average sort of intake into yep. F1 and F2 and F3 these days right yeah mm. so that's that's where I find that over the course of a couple of years I can see this making W Series redundant if they're able to basically yep. you know because people well, I'm, I'm assuming the drivers will have to choose because there will be some that will fall into both catchments right like the younger drivers because there are now younger drivers going into W Series but instead of these established drivers who like never had their day which was very much the start of it having younger talent come in it would make a lot more sense for them to go into F1 Academy if we have this sort of you know the drive, the teams are being managed by F2 teams the cars are uh, you know there's I mean I know there's parallels with W Series but I can see it sort of almost making W Series redundant. You no, know that's what I mean? a really By good point. Be- skipping it. it, yeah. I think the idea was we're going to showcase uh, like the great talent that's out there uh, among uh, like uh, women drivers. But yes, teams want to start like molding drivers when they're like 12 years old and make <laughs> final decisions about their careers when they're like 17 <laughs> or 18. And so W Series was supposed to be like maybe like the ultimate feeder system or recruiting ground uh, for like female talent. But the problem is it ends up sort of positioned as a capstone uh, for a, for a driver's career. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, this, uh, this addresses that to, to, to some extent. Uh, it's, it's a thing whose impact we will see in years, right? Like, like yeah. the, the success of this is going to be measurable in probably like two or three years, uh, whether, mm-hmm. whether we are seeing, uh, people actually get promoted out of this and into some viable racing seats and, and academy spots with with major teams. Yeah, but you're, I think you're you're right with uh, the age thing because people are saying Nick DeVries, oh he's old to to get a uh, you know his his rookie season. He's 27. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's just yeah. and that's that's a new thing. Like that's that's not this is not how it used ago. to be. This is no, like no. it was. It it is so strange. Uh, I'm. I, I, I I've listened to Beyond the Grid very very slowly. So literally, I'm like two years back, and I'm listening to like <laughs> interviews with some of the greats. Uh, the the Alan Jones interview, just incredible, by the way. Uh, like go and listen to that. Yeah, check it out. The subtext of some of these interviews that Frank Williams just seems like an absolute bastard to have done business with back in the day. Uh, <laughs> terrific, but uh, yeah, John Lacey like sort of gave these remarks. Like for him, one of the key differences is you know in his day when you come into F1. You're still a young man, but you are you are a man. You're, you're you know you've had mm. life experiences and you have perspective. And he finds it so strange the way you know it's a, it's an Ender's Game situation, right? They are right. Uh, they are kids who've been like drilled and refined on racing and racing only uh, through formative years, and then they're sort of dumped into it, and they don't have that sort of like final psychological setting 
that, that happens with with adulthood and it's and you can see it with even when with somebody who arguably maybe does not fit this mold exactly but with sebastian vettel with all of his interviews the guy's excited to just live a normal life like yeah it's so strange he's just like I don't know what I'll do, but I'm excited. I won't have like a structure given to me. I've always had structure in my life, which has been the sport, you know, since I was a child. So strange. Like what a weird, like you said, it is Ender's Game. It's like, it's like these weird little, you know, uh, you know, lab babies <laughs> that were like made to, to drive in these cars. Well, this um, is like uh, Lacey in that interview mentions, like if you were, if you were a driver learning your trade back in like the late seventies, early eighties, uh, you got experience out on the track and that was it. Like between races, like there's only so much you could really do. And now with simulators and he was like with video replay telemetry, like they just right. study and study and study racing yeah. in some ways that makes them better drivers. But yeah, very different, uh, like work life balance that they're dealing with even in early age. But you mentioned, you mentioned Vettel, uh, and, and, and the send off he got, uh, Danny, want to guess this, this, this next yeah. story? It was, it was speaking touching. of, work-life balance yeah i I, th- I just think people should read this i'm sure drew will include it in the, in the show notes um there's a lovely little article on race fans about uh this dinner that they all the drivers did you might have seen pictures on social media um of uh the whole grid having a big sort of like group hug after their dinner or maybe before their dinner um or during <laughs> in abu dhabi uh, apparently it was set up by hamilton um uh, as a as a uh, farewell to to Vettel, but obviously you had other drivers there, um, um, like uh, Nicholas Latifi, for instance, and Danny Rick, who who may also be. Um, I think they were stepping. all there. They're all no. I'm just saying Latifi obviously won't be oh, driving an F1 next year yeah. either, and and Ricardo maybe yeah. as well. Uh, in the future, we don't know. Obviously. Um, uh, so a couple of nice quotes here. Uh, Hamilton said, I thought it was really important. So that's why I asked in Mexico whether they would be open to all doing a dinner to give Seb a farewell. We haven't had a dinner together since years ago in China. Um, and there's loads of quotes in here. It has the vibes of like a office Christmas party where everyone realizes that they might actually get along a bit more than, yep. than they do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I just have a couple of quotes here. Albon said, uh, Nikki and I were the first to arrive. It's Latifi, obviously. He said, we were five minutes late and we were the first by 20 minutes. So we got to sit next to each other, which I thought was so funny. <laughs> like, Everyone was 25 minutes late, except they were late, but they were, they're sort of the young bucks, so they still were earlier than everyone. Oh, amazing. Um, the busy life of an F1 driver. Um, there's some great Fernando Alonso quotes where he basically is talking about just being an old man and like all these young kids. He's like, they're all so nice to each other and they take pictures and, and it's, he says, it's nice, but it's different, but it's nice. It's nice that they all get on, we all get along, but it's different. It wasn't like this in my day. You had people like Mika Hakkinen. <laughs> there's like, it's just like a sort of an old man grumbling to his neighbor. Um, which I thought was quite fun. Uh, he's got a big smile on his face in the photograph, um, next to Vettel. Um, and then Russell, I think, sort of with the sensible uh, sort of uh, capstone on this conversation, uh, uh, a lot more, f- uh, a lot more fun than we probably would have expected. We've uh, we've sort of said we need we need it more often, which I think is like a very office party at Christmas. We should all hang out more. This was cool, you know. Yeah. Right before they all go back to their constituencies for three months or whatever. Um, so yeah, you know it's we you know we're all we're all fans of these lads. It's nice when we see them all 
see our our celebrities hanging out with each other and and having a good time and like it is cool there's, it some, is, there's it's, some good photos in there and to what we were saying about like you know the whole young driver thing like there are very few people in the world to me it give, it gives me the vibes of like when you see war veterans getting together every year you know what i mean for their like yeah. remembrance meals or whatever where it's like there is a very small pe- pool of people that have the experiences of these individuals in the world. Um, yeah. Even to the point where, like Rob was saying about Jean Lacey, where like, even he feels out of touch with modern drivers. So the pool is within a pool. Um, and even Alonso does. You know, he had a different growing up to these guys. But So I think it is really important. Um, a couple of quotes in there were talking about how they just see each other a lot more often because of um uh the amount of races because of the way that covid changed how they bubble and socialize outside of f1 on, on race weekends you know it's it's uh it seems like they see each other a lot more so maybe a bit of that uh that uh, that indie car you know barbecue sauce that roman yes, grosjean enjoyed so much maybe it's in maybe, rvs exactly. going around europe it's coming to f1 uh, that's drive to survive season five it's just like just how, yeah exactly do the Get the get all these guys to do the um. What's that? What was that American race coast to coast? What was it called again? Uh, the gumball rally. The gumball. gumball. Get them to uh, do yeah. the gumball three thousand. Gumball run oh, the man. movie. Uh, <laughs> so the I am curious what you make of Hamilton. Was sort of joking. He you know he thinks uh, Vettel's not really done. Uh, you know and, Alonso too. They both said it in interviews. Oh, it was very funny. Yeah, I am curious because if actually if there's one dude I could see just like completely ghosting. Uh, like racing, I could see Vettel being the one. Like, yeah. always seemed the most retiring. Uh, every interview he always gave seemed like, to some extent, there's a part of him that wants to like go sit in his, you know, be like farm, yeah, his, his farm in the mountains or whatever. <laughs> Fix motorcycles, and, like, yeah, and and, yeah, yeah. and tinker and like hang with his kids. But you know, you do that for a few months, and it's nice. But your whole life has been built around doing this one thing and the, these rhythms, and so I don't know. Do, do you think? Do you think he's truly done? Do you think he comes back to F one, or do you think he? I think he's racing done. somewhere. Yeah, I think I think, he's done. I think he's done. I think you're not wrong, and I think there's always the. It's a very like alluring thought. Is is oh, just they drag me back in again? But I find Vettel to be. More than anything else, I find him to be more thoughtful and in yeah. touch with his own emotions than practically everyone else on the on the grid. You know, yeah. And I think so. I think he, I think he he'd know if he wasn't done, and I think he he's done. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised either way either. But yeah, I I've really enjoyed listening to his interviews over the past couple of years, um, and he has gotten more zen. Like, don't get me wrong. When earlier when I'm saying that, like you know. They, they, you know, the the respectful driver. A lot, you know, it's like the last five minutes of a movie. If the last five minutes of a movie makes you happy, then you probably walk out and say, "Tell everyone it was great." And obviously, Vettel has been very respectful in these parts of his career. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm happy for him not to race anymore, and I feel like he's in touch with that and. I don't think he has that type of fight in him anymore. Or maybe he does, and it's for issues outside of racing. All right, well, we're done with this episode. Uh, You can join our Shift F1. Sorry, you can't join our Shift (laughs) F1 Fantasy League. It's over. (laughs) The doors are closed. closed. Uh, 
emails shift of podcast at gmail.com or yes. cool slash emails send them in for next week's podcast you can also hit us up on shift uh yeah at shift f1 podcast on twitter i'm at drew scanlon that is at danny o'dwyer and at rob zachney that's us around the internet should we take it around the world of racing danny let's race around the world one more time in 2023 yeah i guess or maybe we will again in the future who knows it's still 2022, but sorry, uh, we've only sorry. got two things <laughs> on the weekend that I could find. Extreme E is racing at Punta del Este in Uruguay. Uruguay. And the World Touring Car Championship is racing in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah this weekend. Uh, Jeddah. Final cool. thoughts on Abu Dhabi, Danny. Send in those emails, everyone, please. We'll do a big email episode next time. It'll be a good, good shout. Um... Abu Dhabi was uh, was a race that I enjoyed very much from my freezing cold tent in the Mendocino Forest. Um, Amazing. I have to catch up on some World Cup games now. <laughs> uh, final thoughts, Rob? So I said I'm glad F1 is over. <clears throat> and I am. I was ready to see the end of the season. It was, the, the, Take the, it, back. The, it was sort of a spent force as far as exciting stories. Uh, I, was, I was glad we ended up with two interesting races at the end. One great race and, and one uh, interesting one. I think more it is that I'm ready for the next season. That's that's the yeah. real curse of this is like I'm no sooner I'm like, oh, God, just the season is done. Let's put stick a fork in it. Then I'm already thinking about, man, I can't wait until we start getting like the first word on testing and, you know, see who the uh, off season hires and job transfers are, because that is always an interesting market where you see people go hunting for engineers and such <laughs> what the what the uh, the pending arrivals a few years out of, you know, operations like Audi are going to mean for uh you know the, the the sporting landscape the technical landscape and so that's that's kind of where i'm at is the, the weird thing is uh you know last year was really unusual in that the season was live and exciting right up until the end you couldn't even think about like next year hardly at all it was just full <laughs> it was it was completely overwhelming and here you know for a few weeks i've been sort of thinking about man i'm so curious with all the new faces and like the reshuffling of this order uh what next year is going to bring for f1 because i genuinely have no idea and i love that well uh if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official shift f1 discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift f1 have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week yeah.